Well, this is the fifth Sunday of the month. That doesn't happen very often. And when it does, we at Redemption Chapel take that as a bonus Sunday, a bonus gift from the Lord. And we do a couple things different. One, we usually have one of those redemption story videos, like we got to see the butchers. Oh my goodness, I love those guys so much. I really do. Uh, Jack, you often see on the stage helping lead worship. Mary, you might recognize because she is on staff with us in our kid zone, which she studied zoology. There might be a link there. <laughs> Do with that what you will. But, uh, but I absolutely love the butchers. And uh, the other thing we often do different on these bonus Sundays is we hit pause on whatever we were kind of in, intending to do or what we were doing in the Word as far as a series, and we get into one of the Psalms, one of these poetry or worship songs out of the Old Testament. Last time we did this, we were in Psalm 7. Maybe you can guess where we're going to be today. Yeah, you're brilliant, aren't you? Okay, Psalm 8. We're going to be in Psalm 8, and I really want you to listen to this. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I hope you were able to soak that in and really catch that because it's a shorter psalm, but I'll tell you what, it is packed. It's packed with the transcendence and the imminence of God. Transcendence and imminence is what Psalm 8 is all about. Now, those are $20 words. I use them to give you confidence in me as a pastor so that you think I'm smart, but I'm not. Those words, what they mean, the transcendence of God is that he is incredibly high and holy and lifted up. He's other, he's powerful, he's amazing. To be in his presence, if you are unredeemed, is to die. He's that just awe-inspiring. That's his transcendence. His imminence, maybe that word imminence sounds almost like immediate, right? Like that's near and close. His imminence means that God, that God draws near to us. And what's mind his transcendence alone is just mind-blowing. But that that transcendent God would then draw near to us, mind-blown. And that's what Psalm 8 is all about. What we're going to do right now is we're going to go back through Psalm 8 and sift through it. Because I'm going to show you this contrast, transcendent eminence, over and over. And then what I want you to do is feel it. So I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to show you a video almost 10 minutes long. Like it's just too long, but it's just too good. So we're going to, because I want you to feel it. And then what we'll do is we'll wrap up by saying, okay, so what? What do we do with that? Okay. 
So let's begin then by sifting back through Psalm 8. And, and look at this. This is how it begins right here in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord. There was transcendence and eminence right there. You didn't catch it. Let me explain it. You see, O Lord, see how it's in all caps? That is how some translations indicate the Hebrew word they are translating is what we would say Yahweh. It's a tetragrammaton, which again, big words because I feel good now. But, but basically it means four consonants, no vowels. The Jews took the vowels out of the word so that we would not be able to say it. And the reason why is because that's so holy. That's the proper name of God. It's the name that he gave to Moses when he said, I am who I am, which means unqualified, eternal existence. He is the essence of all existence. He is Yahweh. Because they took the vowels out, some people guess and mispronounce and say Jehovah. Same word there they're trying to get at. But that is his transcendence. But then it says, O Yahweh, our Adonai, would be the Jewish word, the Hebrew word, our Adonai personal, right? So our personal Lord, we get to know you, you know us, you draw near to us, you choose us, you are our God, we are your people, that is his imminence. Oh, Yahweh, our Adonai, transcendence and imminence, all set up in just two titles for God, right out of the gates. And then the psalmist, this is David, he goes on to say, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How majestic is your name in all the earth? See it? Now, when he says how majestic is your name, you think, well, isn't God majestic? Why is his name majestic? Listen, your name is a summation of all of who you are. Sometimes my family members will say, that is such a Rick thing to do. It's not a compliment, okay? It's not a compliment. But what they're saying, like, what do you mean that's a Rick thing to do? That's a weird, no, they're saying, my name sums me up. That is a summation of all of who I am. And David is saying, how majestic is God's name? He himself is majestic, and yet, in all the earth. That's him drawing near to us. Transcendence and imminence on display. And that phrase right there not only begins the psalm, it ends the psalm. This is the bookend to the psalm right there. But after having stated it the first time, what he does is he goes on and he says that God's glory is above the heavens and comes out of the mouths of babies. See that? Now his transcendence is that his glory, okay, where, think about this, where is above the heavens? It's above the universe, like that's infinite, right? So God set his glory in infinity, He's transcendent and yet wants his praise to come out of the mouths of babies and infants. See, well, wait, it says strength. But in Matthew 21, Jesus interpreted this, that that is praise coming from young children. And so here we have God caring about even the smallest, most insignificant among us. In, in that society back in that day, children would be viewed as insignificant And so what you see in this passage right here is God doesn't freak out when human enemies come against him. Like, that's silly. Like, when your professors speak out against God, God's not all bunged up by that. He's the transcendent one. He's going to be okay. And at the same time, he's so imminent that he wants praise and awe to come out of young children, and he loves it. He loves it. Transcendence and imminence on display. And perhaps my favorite verse of the psalm is this right here. 
It says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So this is speaking about the transcendence of God based on the created universe. He is so transcendent that he could speak and fling galaxies and the whole universe into existence. That is transcendence. And in light of that, you are a speck of dust on a speck of dust in the corner of the universe. (laughs) And what's worse, we then rebelled against that transcendent one. And so one commentator talked to us, he said, you are a mixture of dirt and sin. Thank you. <laughs> it's not, that's not really flattering, but, but it's true. And so that's, a, and yet that God who is so transcendent thinks of us. Oh, it's even more than that. Look at the next passage. In, in next, it says, he made us a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned us with glory and honor, gave us dominion. That's a kingdom mission. That means God's involved in our lives. He's not only transcendent, he's imminent. He's involved with us. And so throughout Psalm 8, you have the transcendence and the imminence of God on display, and it should blow our minds. And if not, you likely are missing one or the other or both. God ought to just blow our minds. Remember, the Psalms are poetry. They're songs of praise. They're very emotional in nature. And in this case, David is flabbergasted. He's absolutely flabbergasted that that transcendent God would stoop and think of us and interact with us, be imminent among us. Mind blown. Just blown. So what he does to wrap up the psalm, I told you, he comes back to the very last verse, which is the first verse. He repeats it. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's like David's, David's just saying, no, I don't think you get it. I don't think you're listening. Let me repeat myself for the people in the back. You've got to know this stuff. He's just, he's flabbergasted. All right, that's Psalm 8. There it is. Now, what I want to do is help you catch it. I want you to feel it. Remember, David talked about the transcendence of God based on the creation of the universe, that God put all this stuff in place by the work of his fingers. He set it in place. That is a very, very big God. Imagine David. Remember David started out before he was king. He was just a shepherd boy. And he would be out in the fields at night looking up at the stars Maybe he saw some of the planets when they were shining bright, the moon for sure. And he is just stunned by the grandeur and the beauty and the majesty of God. And what I want to say this morning is, David, you didn't even catch a thimble full of it. And so I want to show you a video by Louis Giglio called Indescribable. Now, we don't have time for 40 minutes, right? So I'm going to give you the Cliffs Notes, and we've chopped this thing down to less than 10 minutes. But I want you in this time to catch the glory and the transcendence of God. Enjoy this. 
we, we always call it the known universe. In other words, translation, we haven't built a big enough telescope yet to see exactly what is out there that God has created. But every time we build a bigger telescope, we're wowed once again that it's bigger than we thought. There's more amazing stuff out there that we've never seen. And God's just laughing all over again going, yeah, congratulations. Is that all you got? All right. Well, go back and build a bigger one. And when you come back, I'll show you something else that you haven't seen yet. He must be up there going, come on, work on it faster. Build it faster. I got stuff up here that will blow your mind. Scientists are stumped. One of their dilemmas is they think there must be more habited planets in the universe. And one of the arguments, I think it's a great argument, the argument is if, if the universe is just simply a habitation for you and me, it's way oversized, to which I go right on to that. I think it might be a little too big if it's just a home for you and for me. But what if the primary purpose of the universe is not to be a home for you and me, but what if its primary purpose is to show off the splendor and the majesty and the greatness and the glory of the God who created it all, then the universe is not too big at all. The universe is just about the right size after all. We have to use a ruler that is 5.88 trillion miles long to measure things in God's universe. And our home subdivision, the Milky Way galaxy, just came into being. It, cons it's con it consists of billions of stars, just our subdivision, the Milky Way galaxy. Not hundreds, not millions, not hundreds of millions, billions of stars in our home subdivision, the Milky Way galaxy, and scientists say that there are hundreds of billions of other subdivisions and galaxies in the known universe. If we counted all the stars in our subdivision, one per second, it would take 2,500 years just to count the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And God says about himself, you, you, you want to know how the universe is telling us that God is big? Through the prophet Isaiah, he says, to whom will you compare me? And who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes to the heavens. Who created all of these? And then he answers for himself. The one who leads forth the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his mighty strength and great power, not one of them is missing. We've got to right-size him tonight. If you want to get a glimpse of it, here's a composite shot of our subdivision, the Milky Way galaxy. It's taken by com combining hundreds of thousands of photographs. Uh, obviously, we haven't managed to get outside of the Milky Way galaxy to take a picture of it, but um, NASA folks are pretty sure that's what it looks like. It has a, a barred nucleus. It's a barred spiral galaxy. And you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's 100,000 light years across. So if you want to go visit your neighbors on the other side of the subdivision, you just have to go 186,000 miles a second for 100,000 years, and boom, you're at their house. Um, in our little neighborhood home called the Milky Way Galaxy, you say, well, where are we? I'm, I'm looking for us on there. You know, we, we got to be right in the center, obviously. I'm sure we're right in that right there in that middle. No, we, believe it or not, we're not even in the center of our own subdivision, okay? So affirming again tonight, it's not about you and it's not about me. We don't even live in the center of our own subdivision and you don't want to live in the center of the subdivision because it's scary in the center of the subdivision. 
We, you say, well, where do we live? Well, we live way out between a couple of the spiral arms. You don't want to live in there either because that's dangerous territory inside the bands. We live in that little clear zone between a couple of the bands, about two-thirds of the way out. We're living somewhere about there. And you're, you're like, well, I don't, I don't see me. <laughs> no, because we couldn't put a mark on the diagram that you could see that would be the right relative size to our solar system. You know, that's our little cul-de-sac in the subdivision that we couldn't even put our solar system on here in relative size to the Milky Way galaxy for you to see. We're not that consequential in our own subdivision called the Milky Way galaxy. And somewhere in there is a star, one of these billions of stars. It's not the biggest, the baddest, the brightest. It's just one of the stars of the billions of stars. We call it the sun, and around it tonight are orbiting these balls, one of which is called Earth. It's our home. That's you and me. I think the psalmist got it right when he said, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? So I wanna take you out a little bit. Um, we're gonna go 93 mi million miles out from that little pale blue dot to our near star, our sun, which is what we call it. We're not sure what God calls it. He named it, but we call it the sun. You know it. Um, it burns you up. You're around here, you get it. It's a raging ball of fire, people. It is not just up there, you know, nice and happy, smiley face coming up, you know, as we used to draw it as kids. It is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface. It is raging intensity. It is like billions of nuclear bombs going off every second, so strong it's sending light out at 186,000 miles a second. It only takes the beam of light eight minutes to cover the 93 million mile journey from the sun to your skin in Houston, Texas and it came out of the mouth of God. We cannot think that he is some kind of mamby-pamby God, some kind of mealy little weak God. He is ferocious, this God we are worshiping tonight. He is intense in power and holiness and radiant splendor and might, and he opens his mouth, and things like that just come out of his mouth. We gotta remember that tonight. That's who we're worshiping. And it's just one of the billions of stars in our subdivision called the Milky Way, which is one subdivision among hundreds of billions of subdivisions in the known universe that God has made. He's big. Go out a little ways. Let's use that ruler we talked about, okay? The light year, you remember? 5.88 trillion miles. Let's use that and go out. We're just 93 million miles here. That's nothing. Let's take some strides. 440 light years out. We come to this beautiful constellation called Pleiades. I just put this one in because it's so beautiful and because it's mentioned many times in Scripture. In the Old Testament books, the prophets, and in Job, Job's having that conversation with God, and God's trying to remind him that he's the one that's big, and Job is the one that's small. And he says to Job, Job, can you hold the Pleiades in your hand? To which Job looks up and says, no. And God's like, well, there. 
One place in the scripture, it says that God measures the universe in the span of his hand. The whole universe. It's like, yeah, it's about right there. Now let's jump 8,000 light years out. This is the Hourglass Nebula. Yeah, that's, I think God just put that one up there for fun. It's a dying star emitting tons of gases that are cooling and creating this beautiful thing. The star that's dying is not the one you see to the left, but the one right in the center of the eyeball. I don't know about you, when I was growing up, the ultimate trump in my house was my mom saying, well, you better watch out and be careful because God is watching you. Well, it turns out she was right after all. God sees everything and knows everything. He can't see you with the hourglass nebula. He may see you with um, the helix nebula or with a stardust ring. There's a lot of options for him to see us. Check it out, isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. well, let's take a massive leap. We're 8,000 light years out now. We're gonna go 28 million light years. Can do the math on the way home. 28 million times 5.88 trillion. You're like, are you kidding me? No, you come to the Sombrero Galaxy, just one of the beauties of our universe. You say, oh, that's nice. It looks like a little Frisbee. No, 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 no. It's 50,000 light years wide. It's trillions of miles thick. It just happens to be sitting in space in such a way that we're just above the elliptic plane, almost looking dead on the edge of it, but just six degrees above it. And just up there in all of its splendor, most of you have never seen it before. You say, well, what's it doing up there? Just glorifying God, just showing off the greatness and the majesty of God, just hanging out in the universe that he made, reflecting back to him his glory tonight and how amazing he is. I loved ending that clip there because that's exactly what's going on. I mean, does it just blow your mind that that stuff's just hanging out up there? And for most of human history, nobody has ever seen any of it. Why? Because that's just how big and glorious and amazing our God is. He is so transcendent. He ought to blow our minds. And you ought to feel small. Do you feel small right now? You should. You f should feel like an infinitesimally small speck of dust on a speck of dust in the corner of God's universe. And what's even more mind-blowing to me is that he, he created us, and then that's the God against whom we rebelled. I mean, just think about that. For, that's the one against whom we rebelled. And yet we still mattered to him. Remember, this is not only about transcendence, it's also about imminence. Now, when you hear the word imminence, does that remind you of one of the names of Jesus? Look at Emmanuel. Do you see how similar they are? After all, do you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. It's God with us. And that's what's so amazing, that that transcendent holy God... Thoughts higher than our thoughts, ways higher than our ways, high and holy and lifted up and so powerful that if you were in his presence, you would fall on your face as though dead. That God then puts his hand on our bowed form and says, fear not, I am here. When Colossians speaks about Jesus, it says that the fullness of God was packed into bodily form. 
That transcendent God came as a baby. You see, the Psalms are all about awe and worship and praise and which awes you more, that God is that transcendent God that made the universe or that he packed all of that transcendence into a cradle in the dirt. Mind blown. And in the poetry of God, I'll check this. He, he takes one of the stars that he created with his fingers and put in place. He used one of them to lead a group of magi to find and worship young Jesus. It's just so cool. And then that same God who created all that Giglio just showed us allowed us to nail him to a cross. Mind blown. So what do we do with this? What do you do with big words like transcendence and imminence when we're talking about God? I want to give you a few thoughts to apply this. And the first is that this should blow our minds. Should absolutely blow our minds. Why create us? Why care for us? Why interact with us? Especially after we sinned against him. We are just a mixture of dirt and sin. Why care about us? And yet, that amazing God not only calls every star by name, he knows each one of your names. And he knows about you, and he loves you, and he cares for you, and he came for you, and he wants relationship with you. The transcendence and the imminence of God ought to blow our minds. Secondly, there should be balance. Should be balanced to this. Okay, this is like good parenting. Right? Parenting, you need both transcendence and imminence. Right? You you need to have authority above your children, and you need to be in love alongside your children. You need to do both. Think about bad parenting when it's all authority and no love. It's all above and no beside. That's bad, and it hurts the kid. What about the other side? The parent that just wants, well, I'm just gonna be his friend. No authority, all law, and that doesn't go well either. You need to have a balance of both. And so it is with our God. We have both. What if you had a God who was transcendent but not imminent? And so you would have holiness and majesty and high and lifted up and yet no grace and no mercy, no love, no relationship. And the scriptures never imagine God like that. Or flip it. What if you had God with imminence but no transcendence? Then you would have a God who is your buddy, your friend. You ever hear somebody refer to him as the big guy upstairs? After watching Giglio's video, you think that's appropriate? Or how about referring to Jesus as your homeboy? <laughs> I mean, we should chuckle. But also catch this, the transcendent one came and we did that to him. That's just insane. What we're doing in that moment is we're we're denying the transcendence, we're embracing the imminence, and we're making God in our image. And now he's just like us. But when he's just like us, he can't help us. And the scriptures never imagine God like that. See, if he's only transcendent, he's powerful, but he doesn't care. If he's only imminent, he cares, but he can't help. 
and there is balance. We need to have both. And so what I want you to think about is, listen, you're not perfectly in balance on this. I guarantee you that. Neither am I. We all lean one way or the other. Do you tend to view God as distant and dour? Or is he your homeboy? Which one do you lean towards? And you need to swing towards the middle. Get some balance in there. All right, I spent a little bit more time on that. Let me give you the third application. It's this perspective. We need perspective. See, there is, if God is that transcendent one that made that universe, holy cow, there's nothing he can't handle in your life. Your addiction, your lust, your gossip, whatever it is, we all wrestle with stuff. Our God can handle that, and he cares, he wants to. Oh, but don't miss this angle of the perspective. You're not in the center of the universe. And so it's not just about leveraging the transcendent one to bless my life, but rather we are specks of dust given a mission to tell other specks of dust about that transcendent God. That's what it's about. This great God. That's perspective. And then fourth and last, we need to worship rightly. Did you catch a bigger glimpse of who our God is today? I hope so. And we have to worship him rightly. There should be awe. There should be respect. He is transcendent, mind blown, explode in worship. And at the same time, he is Emmanuel, God with us. He came for us, cares about, even though we're dirt and sin, he cares about us. That's his eminence, mind blown. We ought to explode in worship. And I am hoping and trusting, asking God, the Redemption Chapel would always be a place where, where the majesty and the transcendence of God is on display and that you get a bigger glimpse of who he is and, and you're just flabbergasted. And yet, at the same time, that this is a place where we actually connect with the imminence of that transcendent one. And we're seeing that happen in stories like the butchers. And I absolutely love it. Listen, we don't do religion at Redemption Chapel because religion yawns. Religion is boring, but our God is mind-blowing. And in a moment, we're going to get to worship him as such. Would you stand with me and let me pray for us? Transcendent one, we come into your presence right now as if, as if we could ever be outside the presence of the transcendent one. And we say, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I pray that you would stir our hearts right now with your word such that we would capture both your transcendence and your eminence. And we would be in awe before you such that we would never give you tepid worship, but we would just explode with minds blown. We would explode in worship right now. Bring glory to yourself, please. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.